Welcome to Dig It. This is Edge with my co-host, Corey Lynn. And today we have a very special guest joining us, Elza Van Hamlen. Elza is a researcher for the Dutch reader-funded printed paper, Deandre Krant. And she covers the section People and Power that deals with censorship, surveillance, the restructuring of governments and media, technocracy, health, the food system, and social engineering. You can read her series on behavioral manipulation on global research or listen to her interviews there as well. She's also written for Solari Report and has a big report coming out soon at Solari.com. Welcome, Elsa. It's great to have you here. Hi, nice to be here. This is so awesome. So Elsa and I, we we email each other often when we find things going on because we are, some of our research overlaps. So <laughs> It's really fun. And I know you have you have a psychology background, don't you? No, I have a social science background oh, and science. a business background. Okay. I don't know where oh, I got yeah. psychology from. <laughs> yeah. So so some of the stuff we are going to talk about today is stuff that I've also reported on, but it's it's really interesting to me and neat hearing it from your perspective because you'll dig into different tunnels that I've dug into, or you'll spend more time diving deeper into one area where I focused on another area. And then of course, you're, uh, you're in the Netherlands, right? Yes. So, so, uh, yeah. so, so then you have, you know, other perspectives on what's going on with other countries as well. So I wanted to start with the one health approach. Mm-hmm. Because I know you've you've dove much deeper into that than I have. I've sprinkled it throughout some of my reports. I know it's very well Rockefeller funded. Mm-hmm. So explain to people what One Health is and and what they're trying to do, where this is going. So One Health, so One Health is a, a kind of a UN or a World Health Organization philosophy that looks at health and almost anything can be a source of pandemic potential. So they um, they connect with the Animal Health Organization. They connect with UNEP, which is the Environmental Organization. They connect with <coughs> FAO, which is the Agricultural Organization. And they talk a lot about, about what they call zoonosis, which are diseases that jump from uh, animals to humans. And basically, then they propose that uh, almost everything needs to be surveyed for pandemic potential. And they have this whole infrastructure already in place to respond to um, signals uh, that there may be like a, a, a something that can cause a pandemic. And then they they want the whole infrastructure to respond to this. So the way that I kind of like discovered this, I know a lot of people were apparently already aware of it. I wasn't. But last year they tried to, and they're trying this again, they tried to change the international health regulations, which are which are not regulations, it's a treaty. Um, but they try to expand the World Health Organization's existing power by changing these regulations. And in one of the edits to the regulations, Instead of apparently, if there's a health health risk um, from the WHO, 
then they could also um, connect to the atomic agency. So I thought, okay, that makes sense. If there's like a nuclear disaster or something, these need to coordinate. But instead of just working with, um, well, the I'll, I'll call it the atomic agency. It has a different acronym. Instead of just connecting to them, they also mentioned UNEP and the animal organization and FAO. And that kind of raised an alarm bell for me because I thought, okay, so if if you have the situation that we were in in 2020 and they say there's a pee hike, like an emergency of international concern, and they can also take control of natural areas and the food system and livestock, yeah. that's pretty concerning. So that's when I um, dove into it. And um, so it was put on the map, I think in 2004, there was a conference and then they proposed something like One World, One Health. Then mm-hmm. in 2007, the Rockefeller Organization uh, Institute, they invested two, $22 million into disease surveillance networks. And then the year after, so I think it was 2008, they initiated um, the One Health Commission and a kind of joint steering committee. And... Um, they an undisclosed sum was fund was a uh, so so the they the Rockefeller Foundation again invested an undisclosed sum, but it seems to be connected to this disease surveillance because um, One Health policy uh, is very connected to this idea of disease surveillance, and then if you start looking, then you see it's part of the American biosecurity strategy. Um, the CDC has it on its website. The European Union says well, this approach is really important to us. And they have all these laboratory networks with a lot of different programs to research this. There are conferences, there are scientific papers, there are webinars, there are professional organizations. So they are tra- training veterinarians in this. So the more that I looked in it, 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 and perhaps you notice when you read these websites, it's very boring, bureaucratic language. (laughs) So I I was reading it and I thought, how am I going to make this into an interesting article? Because it's so... (laughs) (laughs) And also you, you read all these websites and all these websites are saying the same. Oh, yeah. So I thought... What is this? What am I looking at? And I thought this is an infrastructure. It's not just a concept or a philosophy, but it's an infrastructure that's fully in place. And mm-hmm. something that I'm interested in that I haven't looked into yet is we had all these animal diseases like uh, mouth and claw disease. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, were multiple animal, uh, so sort of the bird flu, of course. There was the mad cow disease. And mm-hmm. I suspect that a, a lot of these diseases, like if you uh, keep animals in abysmal circumstances, then they get sick. And that's they don't get sick because there's a contagion. They get sick because you treat them awful. Um, but that's my assumption. Right. <laughs> so what I'm wondering now, thinking about, just like we had, we had the scenario exercises, um like event 201 but there were also drills such as the the swine flu and the mexican flu Mm -hmm. um 
I suspect that the same thing has been happening in the animal uh, with with the livestock. Right. Right. Yes. And do you, and what do you they suspect? Try... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. Um, so that would be really be something to look into how this has been going and how livestock farmers have been trained to do disease surveillance, to give animals antibiotics or other types of medication and how these responses were coordinated because a lot like when when they when they declare a pandemic then they put people in lockdown but with animals they kill all those animals and all these farmers have participated with this because it was considered a public health risk but if they want to do if they want to combine this now then um and I looked at a couple of farmers' websites and because you have to check for um, zoonosis, antimicrobial resistance, and they're already warning about this. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, articles that you can find where they warn about diseases that jump from animals to humans. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so so you can, you can kind of see what they're working towards. And last year, these uh, changes did not pass. But as you know, they are trying to do the same thing again. And even beyond that, if you look at the changes, it's completely to the international health regulation. It's completely um, insane. Mm -hmm. um, but um, so give me one second. Um <laughs> It's completely insane. They don't explicitly mention uh, One Health, but um, if you look at uh, if you look at the wording, they talk about connecting to UNEP and FAO and the uh, animal, the UN Animal Organization, and they also talk about this uh, disease surveillance uh, through which you can raise, like, say, say, declare a new pandemic. So. If you look at the jargon that's used, it's a blueprint for for implementing One Health, I believe. Oh yeah, I, about twenty things popped in my head while you were talking. Oh, where to <laughs> even start? I, you know, and then we also have the Rockefellers. Just, uh, I think it was in was it twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two that then started pushing the genomic surveillance as well. So, with with humans, of course, all because of the the mm -hmm. pandemic and um so here let me exit my full screen so i can see my notes here no so yeah so i've done reports that have overlapped this and you know one of the other things this is a new one too also rockefeller funded and others is mm -hmm. the food is medicine intervention pyramid the um yes the report i did on the uh tracking and whole new surveillance system that they're calling nutritional screening mm -hmm. and they've got they've got their little pyramid where they've got medically tailored meals medically tailored groceries produce prescriptions mm -hmm. incentives for nutritional security federal nutrition assistance and emergency food programs so it most definitely in all the research i've done mm -hmm. it, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the, the food is definitely tied in with what they're trying to pull off with the whole IHR amendments and the who, and they've used the term, like you were saying, the antimicrobial, 
That's mm-hmm. the term that they keep hammering over and over and over again to try mm-hmm. and pull the animals and livestock into it. And I know, Edge, you had pulled up um, a list. One of the other concerns was the mRNA that they're talking about. Um, right. What do they have? What do they have with that edge? Like clinical studies going on now with livestock or? Yeah. Yeah. First, going back to the One Health real quick, I wanted to mention because um, recently I've been digging into the Omnibus Bill, the National Defense Authorization Act for a report that uh, is going to be published on Corey's Dig soon. And I wanted to just highlight this one section of the Omnibus Bill, Section 2235, where they're talking specifically mm-hmm. about the One Health framework. And in this section of legislation that just passed at the end of 2022, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, the Director of the CDC, along with uh, the Secretary of Agriculture, Secretary of Interior, and all of these other ga- departments and agencies are mm-hmm. tasked with developing a mechanism to coordinate in the entire federal government on mm-hmm. this one health approach. And, and what I've noticed after doing all of this research into the omnibus and NDAA, it's not just the one health framework, but there are literally dozens of programs like this peppered mm-hmm. throughout the omnibus bill. And they're all for the same obje- objective to streamline and coordinate power and control among these bureaucrats at the top in preparation Mm -hmm. for the next so-called public health emergency, where they can control not just with tyranny uh, the humans, but as you've been discussing, Elza, the the livestock, the farming, all of the natural resources, everything, because it's all connected. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so just to to quote from my article, it is well, it's a quote from a One Health website, but they t- talk about the One Health Commission lists some areas that urgently need to start applying the One Health report at all levels of academia, government, industry, policy, and research, because the interconnectedness of animal environmental human plant and planetary health and here's what they want to connect to this yeah there's the list agricultural production animals um antimicrobial resistance biodiversity climate change like that's not a small list that's a whole government approach and it kind of expands this whole managing society through through fear through panic through creating crisis um and uh so i quoted the the philosopher the italian philosopher giorgio agamben because he has some interesting things to say about how to uh that the, this is a government approach by ruling through emergencies and he says um health is no longer something that's your private individual responsibility but in this case it becomes a social uh, obligation but it's mm. I think he's spot on by recognizing that it's not just a policy or response to a crisis. It's a new governance approach. Exactly. Exactly. And going back to what you had asked about, Corey, with the gene edited uh, or gene editing um, in our food, um, I I had mentioned to Corey, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, Elza. Mm -hmm. I saw this substack by Dr. Robert Malone 
where he listed um, several uh, mRNA injections that um, for for livestock. And mm -hmm. in this list, um, he t pointed out that there's actually already on the market mm -hmm. a Merck mRNA injection for pigs, for for uh, swine flu and other uh, diseases. And then several other um, places where it's in the works, such as in 2016, Bayer partnered with BioNTech. And of course, we all know mm -hmm. BioNTech as the producer of the COVID jab. Well, they, back in 2016, they started developing mRNA uh, injections for animals. So, and then just uh, last year, the USDA awarded a grant to Iowa State University uh, for mRNA injections for bovine respiratory syncytial virus. So these are just a few examples, but he pointed out a significant um, key uh thing in this in this article which is that we have ways of tracking um mm -hmm. the pipeline of these mrna injections they're trying to force on humans through clinicaltrials.gov i mean we can watch what they're working on different mrna injections for a universal flu vaccine or for cancers or and so on and so forth but we mm -hmm. don't have that same kind of mechanism for watching what kind of clinical trials um, they're doing and how far along they are with animals and so mm -hmm. people are really left in the dark as to what the status is on this like mm -hmm. and and how much uh we are being exposed to it right so I read an article by um, Byram by Bridal. He's a doctor, and uh, he he posted that in Australia they are already vaccin well, vaccinating uh, cattle with this, and that a lot of cattle died right. more than humans. Yeah, but. Right. That's again, like like if if you eat meat and uh, animals have had this and they produce a lot of these spike proteins or other toxins, right. I don't know how safe it is to eat that meat. Well, and it's... Why... sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you have to wonder why this approach to kind of like mRNA everything, like like mRNA vaccines for bees. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It's not a COVID vaccine for the bees, but also with the the cows. Since when did the cows get sick? Like, there's not a COVID pandemic among cows, right? Why do all these animals need to be, yeah, injected with this well, stuff? Well, and why do we need to eat it? We know that they want to push for the lab-grown meat, and mm -hmm. so they want to. You know, they've been they've been gunning for the. Uh, cattle ranchers in the meat industry for a long time with their mm. regulations and this is one more way to approach that in, mm. in a very sick way and to bring out their lab-grown meat that nobody wants and um i know that you you have a report you know we won't go into details mm. but you have a report coming out on uh solari.com mm. soon uh, that pertains to, you know, pharma food and, and lab grown meat and all kinds of stuff. And I know you really dove into the process, but you also did a report. Um, do you have that other report, Edge? I do. That, 
that you did Elsa on mm -hmm. lab grown meat. Can you talk a little bit? And you know, I've covered lab grown meat quite a bit too, yeah, yeah. but I like to hear from you. <laughs> oh, so, um, so I saw this small, I actually only read your articles, but then I saw this press release um, about that the Dutch government is investing $60 million mm. into uh, building or developing an ecosystem for um, to attract startups for to to have a good kind of business environment for lab grown meats. And um, the applicants to this uh, government subsidy, they also showed that like this is a very uh, like a, a knowledge intensive process and they they don't have like because the way that lab grown meat is produced is that they use the exact same uh, production process as being used in biotech to make biotech pharma products mm. and uh, this is a very complicated process and you need people that uh, that understand the science right so they need to, so they're also developing training programs for universities. And yeah, so I saw this press release and I was reading into it and it raised so many questions for me right. because, <laughs> right. because a, a vaccine uh, or like also, especially like a mRNA vaccine, it, it's a high, um, it's a high margin product. So it's very, it's pretty complicated to produce it. And um, you need high quality control. Well, uh, we know that there are a lot of questions about that. Right. But, um, if you, you, yeah, you cannot just, it's not like, like baking a bread or something. It's a very like high tech process with um, expensive capital equipment. Um, you have to, to run these processes well, because if you get a, a contamination event, you can just throw everything in the garbage bin. Mm -hmm. um one thing that i was wondering after re reading that because they say yeah we use cells we use cell lines to grow the culture and i thought okay but if i i go to the supermarket and i get a piece of meat i cannot grow a cow from this right. so what do you need to do <laughs> right <laughs> to to I thought what is this like voodoo food <laughs> like like how can you make something dead come alive but it's actually not something dead come alive you need living cells mm -hmm. because you cannot grow dead cells and then you need to you use cell lines and that was something I knew more about because um I don't know if you remember this but uh, around the time that they were starting the whole injection campaign, there was um, there was a series of Project Veritas that did a lot of undercover reporting. Well, they're still doing that, but one was at Pfizer. No, there was a whistleblower at Pfizer, and she got a question from a customer about the use of cell lines. Are, do, are you using fetal cell lines? And then somebody from higher up in the company said, no, no, we're not going to talk about this. We need to keep this quiet. This may pe put people off. Right. And she didn't know that they were using this. So she went to Project Veritas to tell about this. And what was interesting that what she discovered was actually kind of common knowledge in the biotech industry, but I don't think among the common people, but it got a lot of... Um, 
pro-life organizations, but also concerned journalists diving into what are these fetal cell lines and how are they created? And that is pretty gruesome. Just, so that, Yeah, I remember when all that broke. I reported on that and the videos came out and, and then they were scraped everywhere and yeah yes. <laughs> oh yeah but then, yeah but then thinking about the the the, the because the 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 sales pitch for lab grown meat is that it's clean it's animal friendly <laughs> right it's and i thought but if they're using cell lines this this cannot be animal friendly so that was yeah so, so i had a lot of questions after just covering this press release and what they're planning to do uh, and as you know, I sent them to you and um, Catherine Austin Fitz. Mm -hmm. And then Catherine asked me to do a deep dive on it. So that will come out, I think, uh, by the end of this month somewhere. Awesome. And I can't wait to read that. Because I started digging and then I just, you know, 20 million projects <laughs> going at the same time. So I'm like, yay, Elsa dug into this. So I can't wait to read <laughs> that one. <laughs> well, I admire the amount of work you put out. Oh I'm gosh! Think, how are you able to do this <laughs> amount of time? Uh, yes, so yeah, we just don't. Want to be... <laughs> <laughs> well, and and that kind of brings us over to the whole GMO gene edited. You know, this mm -hmm. whole synthetic world. It's like a technological and synthetic world that they are mm -hmm. creating on every level, and. Yes. And I'm curious to hear what's going on, you know, out by you or in other areas around this, um, because over here, we know that GMOs already make up, I believe it, isn't it like 90% of our agriculture is already genetically modified edge? It's yeah, oh I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, right. it's, it's a lot. I, I've covered yeah. it in various reports. Um, and I remember looking up all the different statistics where it literally broke down the different areas within agriculture and the percentages mm -hmm. that were GMO. And I think overall as a whole, it, it came to like 90%. And, and that is slightly different from gene edited, as you know, mm -hmm. Elza, because we both looked into this. And originally the European Union, I think, was saying no it's gene edited it's very different because now you're um you're splicing taking and splicing out and as opposed to putting in and so mm -hmm. they're they were category categorizing it as under the same regulations as gmo that mm -hmm. it needs to be um have quality control an oversight but over here in the u.s they said oh no gene edited it's like a nothing burger and so mm -hmm. what's going on now? What can you tell us about what you know about? Um, but, yeah. There are two things. So yeah, so, so that's correct what you say about the gene edited and the argument. So this is interesting. So they made make these cuts in the DNA and then they, the, the industry says, well, theoretically, this could also happen in nature. Uh-huh. Right. right, right, like one in a trillion chance. Yeah. Uh huh. And, and and then they'll put up their little videos saying, you know, well they'll put up the cute dog pictures. It's just like when we're breeding dogs, and you know, yes, like, there's nothing to worry about. No, and so so apparently the method itself is more pre precise, but the effects are not. 
So mm-hmm. they, they call this off-target ta- effect. So I had an interview that's also on this website with uh, Claire Robinson from GM Watch, and that's an, uh, uh, good to f- uh, a good source to follow. She follows worldwide developments. They are based in the UK. Okay. Um, but she had this example where um, the, I think the FDA almost, they already approved uh, like... Um, gene editing for cows without horns mm-hmm. and um and then they went through the data again and they found that these gene edited cows were producing antimicrobial resistance genes hmm. yeah, so that was an off-target effect uh-huh. <laughs> and then and how they- many and how many off-target effects are there with each of these types of genetic modifications? This has got to be there's no. Uh, but but what? Yeah. So there, the, what's happening in the EU is important for several reasons. So the EU has kind of a gateway function. There are still GMOs are allowed, but they're still pretty strict. But as lo- as soon as they are de- deregulated in the EU, then a lot of other countries that are now still strict, they're following. Because they want the EU as a, as a market for the products. And if they produce GMOs, then that's, that's more uh, difficult. And then there is another part in the EU story. So the EU, they have this uh, green deal to deal with climate change. And as part of this Green Deal, they have a farm-to-fork strategy, which is a radical reorganization of agriculture. And as part of this farm-to-fork strategy, there are goals to increase increase organic farming and reduce pesticide use. And I remember reading these goals and I thought, oh, that's actually pretty good, but what's what's behind this? (laughs) What's the catch? Yeah, right. Um, so what they're arguing now, and there was kind of like a a policy exploration document from the European Commission in 2019, and now they put out like, I think one or two other documents that say the same thing. They said, well, these, um, new genomic techniques, well, they called new breeding techniques because you have to think about it as breeding and not as a GMO. Mm -hmm. Um, these new breeding techniques, they, um, they're actually very similar to what happens in nature and they can help us um, combat climate change by creating drought resistant plants and creating right. plants that don't need pesticides. So the only way we can uh, achieve our ambitious uh, farm, to food, farm to fork uh, targets is by allowing, um, allowing these new GMOs under the organic label. Right, right. People don't even understand that when they're buying organic, that they've just basically ch- changed the definition because you can buy organic and it still be gem- genetically modified, correct? Well, no, at this moment, both in the EU and in the US, organic, like GMO is not allowed in organic. But in the EU, there's now push to not just deregulate these new GMOs, but to pass them as organic. And what's interesting is that there's the same push in the U.S. So um, there's here Max Goldberg. He is has a site, Organic Insider. And I think each couple of weeks he covers a big topic. 
And he was talking about the meeting at the National Organic Standard Board. And they set the standard for the organic standard in the US. Um, and he said it that he was at a number of meetings where people raised the topic, well, I know that GMO is kind of a dirty word in this industry, but mm. we should start thinking about, and it's like exactly the same, um, yeah, the sales pitch for GMOs as organic as in the EU. But what he warns about, he says, we have these these organic conferences that are very well visited, Um but hardly anyone is present at these National Organic Standards Board meetings. And there's just a five, 15 member team, team that can recommend changes to the, the, to the U.S. organic standards. Wow. wow. So, um, so right now, both in the EU, EU and the U.S., it's still organic. It should not have GMOs in it. Uh, but there's a pretty strong lobby to... Um, yeah, to to not only deregulate it but to pass it as GM, uh, to as as organic, which is wow. a risk for people who who really like farmers want to have clean seeds, right? And right. want to eat non-GMO. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And this this makes me just think of the vertical farming situation with um. You know, like everything you were just describing there about how they say, oh, well, we're going to make it more drought resistant and we don't need pesticides. And well, here, let's take and we can grow them inside and then we can recycle the water. And they, they make it all sound so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Like they're really looking out for us. And, and in just four weeks time, we can plant the seed and harvest and just drive it right over to the grocery store so it's nice and fresh. Mm -hmm. Uh, except for we've got hundreds of labs out in Silicon Valley working on all the gene edited seeds Uh that are going to be going into these vertical farming facilities, which has been an attempt on a global scale as another way to control the produce end of things. But then you recently sent me this article just a few days ago, I'm like, oh, we got to talk about this, um, about Europe's energy crisis. So tell people about that part. So, well, we got, we used to have a lot of um, cheap gas from Russia, but of course the NATO, uh, yeah, stirring up a conflict there. And um, now the energy prices have gone through the roof. Mm. So really, really through the roof, like, like, hundreds of yeah it's just very expensive but it's also expensive for businesses so a lot of businesses are going bankrupt because the energy bills are so high if you like my energy bill went uh was five times as much as what i used to pay wow yeah i I think at least for me i'm seeing about double where i'm at where (laughs) are you at edge yeah it's definitely gone up uh, I would say that we've found creative ways, kind of like Elsa, where we're like not turning the heater on all the time. We use like right. uh, local little heaters in each room or whatever and try to right. cut down on the costs there. But yeah, we've definitely yeah. seen an increase. So look at this picture that's on here. You see all those lights? So this is the problem that they're running into and what this article talks about. And I had to giggle when I read it because (laughs) I thought, aha, 
<laughs> well, there's a backfire. Maybe they didn't think this whole strategy through because, you know, with each of their climate, it, it, everything kind of falls under the umbrella of climate change, right? Yes. That's, that's how they push all their different narratives. So throughout that, they got to realize there's going to be some fallout. There's going to be some backfires. There's going to be some stuff that's not going to really add up and make sense. And it's going to hurt some of the areas that they're focused on. So like you got all these bulbs here and well, how are they supposed to afford that? And so it was talking about, I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head, but one of the big vertical farming facilities just had to lay off like 500 employees. They're trying to, you know, the 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 energy is just having to pay for all that is is killing them and so you look at these manufactured crises they're creating and well oh now it's kind of trickling down on this but what is interesting in here is they talk about well the middle east might be the market for this and dubai would be great because we want to go to areas <laughs> where they're having to import like 56 percent of their vegetables and produce and um, they don't have, you know, it's a dry area, obviously. So mm. the ability to grow and the water supply. So this is a perfect setup for there. So I haven't had a chance to even process beyond that. But I'm thinking, hmm, are we going to be importing from the Middle East in the future? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but it makes crazy. me wonder how that's impacting some of the ones over here in the U.S. And he, he I can't remember the author of this article, but may have gotten into a little bit of uh oh no actually i think they did say app harvest was it yes Salsa, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um was was suffering right now having a hard yeah. time making this making it and they were one of the bigger ones um in the report that i had covered so mm-hmm. so this it's kind of interesting to see and we and we've seen this in other areas too where you know some of their agendas are kind of backfiring a bit so not just a bit like and and the they are mainly um growing leafy greens and apparently people that don't have a lot of money they don't buy leafy greens <laughs> they want to right. have something that's cheap and nutritious right. so yeah it it has a big flaw but it's also interesting because of the climate narrative like this is not carbon neutral and if you look at the the lab grow meats that's not carbon neutral. I I don't know what. Yeah. So so also in all these narratives, they it uses less land, it uses less water, but they also say it will help the climate. But if you understand this production process, there's no way that yeah that this can be more efficient than a cow in a meadow. It's the same thing with let's do electric cars everywhere and have electric stations. And, you know, it's the same thing. There's there's no way. Uh Um, I just think a lot of their agendas are going to backfire on them, either from people not complying and Uh um, not falling into the trends and narratives they're trying to create um, or, you know, like this, I think. I think we need to do a, we need to do like a report where we take different sectors of the in, different industries and go, uh-huh. this is why this is not carbon neutral. This, and, you know, and spin it right back at them and then play their well, same I, game. So I used to be a sustainability consultant 
<laughs> but more from the environmental side like uh, let's care well for people and the environment right and that's important and, and more and more it is it was it became an agenda it became an agenda and it was hijacked but it started with a lot of people with positive intentions Right. Um, so I was always taught that, yeah, this renewable energy works and um, and I don't have a technical background. So a long time, I kind of assumed that I was told that that was right. But at some point I started researching it and I thought, this is not going to work. But I started trying to talk with that about that with my colleagues and it was that was not possible. It was because I, if you, I said if you measure everything by CO two, like, and if you assume that CO two, then it's the problem. Mm-hmm. Then um, you're not looking at everything else, like just purely like the the energy production of a windmill. Like, oil and gas is so much more efficient. Well, that was like cursing in church, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, like, it, for, for, because for every every single source of alternative energy, like with the windmills, they, the wind blades they are made of chemicals and plastics, and and they just last for twenty or twenty five years. And then you have something that you cannot, like, you cannot recycle it. You cannot do anything with it. Mm-hmm. And it's like an enormous amount of waste. And you have to bake these windmills in really big gas ovens. And, and, was, tr- and turn sorry, I was just thinking same thing with solar panels. You know, when the solar panels yeah. age out, where where do you put all those? So th- with the solar panels, theoretically, you can recycle them. But uh, right now it's not cost effective. So nobody is recycling them because it costs a lot of energy. Right. You could say the same thing for lithium batteries, which are powering electrical Mm -hmm. vehicles and the sourcing of that, which is completely inhumane and destroying environments in places like Africa. But they don't want to talk about that and how the lithium batteries, what do you do with them when they run out? I mean, I've seen, we've seen all the pictures in the past of how the government would buy entire fleets of cars that when uh-huh. the batteries died, they would just be just tossed into a giant lot and mm. overgrown and it just turned to rust. So yeah. how is that? How is that yeah. actually sustainable either? Right. Well, kind of and, and they said it was cost effective because there were all these charts about the cost going down. Then what I found out is that what you need is a very big infrastructure and the whole infrastructure cannot carry it. So while your energy cost is going down, your infrastructure cost is going up and the government is paying for it in an indirect way. So you don't see it in your energy price. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so so I, I started to yeah. anyway, <laughs> even while doing that work, I started to have so many questions, but it's also one of the yeah, one of the reasons why I quit with that. Well, that's kind of a cool intro into <laughs> you know, this whole world of research for you, having, (laughs) having worked in that area and seeing what was going on front and center. I think that's kind of cool. So, so I'm wondering what you guys think about this, the whole, 
the IHR amendments that they're trying to put in. And we, we all just did a major publishing because uh, James Roguski uh, had requested that, you know, all alt media sources like get this out immediately because we knew this was going on. And Edge, you and I have been talking about this in podcasts and throughout reports for over the past year. Um, and, and I just keep thinking, you know, you, you remember when DeSantis said, uh, that when, when, when we all first started hammering this out there and it was starting mm-hmm. to get, you know, rise up through the media and then DeSantis came out and said, there's, you know, the, who's going to have no interference here in Florida. They're not going to dictate, you know, our health regulations here in the state of Florida. And mm-hmm. I think, hmm, can states declare, you know, sovereignty from this and say, I mean, I know, so these are, and I haven't read it. So I haven't read mm-hmm. the details, specifics of this so-called legally binding international regulations to see what loopholes are there or how this could play out. But I just wonder, can states or, um, at least in the U.S., can individual states? What do you think, Edge? Can declare like you know we're not going to be mandated by the WHO in this state, not not for our health regulations? Or is this something that is on such a high like federal level? There's no getting out from under it if they manage to push this through. That's a good question. I mean, I'm looking for loopholes myself because yeah, I think that um, we have to find ways that states and uh, local areas can separate from the federal government because the federal government is going on this freight train in Mm -hmm. one direction, whereas several states like Florida, for example, are going in a completely other direction. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and if states, red states in particular, decide no. We, we're completely pulling out of any kind of UN legally binding document or World Health Organization legally binding document, that sort of a thing. Um, I don't know the answer, honestly. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Elsa? What do you think as far as how countries or states would be able to mm. potentially... Well, if you, if you see those changes, it really kind of like hands over sovereignty to the WHO. Like if they declare a crisis, then they ha- can make legally binding di- dictates about what needs to happen in that country, including treatment, uh, infrastructure, uh, the disease surveillance. It's like they even removed like human rights and human dignity from mm-hmm. the existing um regulations right. so it's very very extreme and um so theoretically like because it's an existing treaty they say we can make changes to this treaty but these are kind of tr- changes that require a new treaty right like um but they're going to try to pass it and how many like the the last year then all these governments rebuilt uh, mm-hmm. basically Africa saved us yeah because they were ready to pass it and then there were I think Brazil I forgot all the countries but there were a number of countries he said if you're going to pass this we are going to leave to who but what's interesting now is that if you see all the track changes in the documents it's so extreme it's even mm-hmm. worse than the changes that they proposed last year so 
yeah, why do they think they can pass it now? And um, yeah, I don't know how it's in the US, but in the Netherlands in the last three years, a lot of basically illegal laws have been passed. Right. Uh, so I would see this as an illegal law, like it completely removes your constitutional rights. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> and then and I, if I'm remembering correctly, I want to say the date that they're shooting for to finalize this is uh 2024 isn't it may of 2024 i think yes i think that well the most recent information that i heard was that yes they were shooting for may 2024 at the world health assembly but according to james Rogoski, they may try to get this slipped in at the 2023 may world health assembly mm. This really? is why he was putting this message out is because these sort of changes to the IHR would have to be submitted four months in advance prior to um, the World Health, Health Assembly even uh. to be considered. And so that is why he had such an urgency to get this information out because it he according to him, it may be as soon as May 2023 they try to do this, but definitely May 2024 is what they were originally shooting for. But the real wow. question is going to be like, are are people and are is even if they pass this illegal law, mm -hmm. are people to going to obey? And when I was right. really looking at all the changes they proposed, I thought. They, they won't be able to rely on the national police forces. So if you want to enforce this kind of law, then you need, you need, you need the, the how, how do they call it? The, the monopoly on violence. They mm -hmm. need an army or I don't know how they're going to do it, but if they want to enforce this, um, I suspect that there's, I, yeah, they must have a plan for that. Well, it's got to be connected to their plans for the digital identity um, and the COVID passports and all of that on a mass scale in order to be able to function in society. You would have to have that and therefore they could control you that way to comply with international quote unquote health regulations by the World Health Organization. And locking if, your bank account <laughs> mm -hmm. well and if there are riots so i was just um so in the netherlands um they've the, the police has been very violent um during some of the protests and during a number of the protests during the lockdowns they observed um uh police officers that did not appear to be dutch that did not speak the language, that didn't have to write ba badges, that weren't able to identify themselves. Huh. So they suspected that it was Euro Gentvor, which is kind of like an ad hoc European uh, military police. Wow. Um, but they, so they don't have to, well, there are already problems with the regular police, but they don't have to check like a, an official policeman has sworn an oath and he must be able to identify himself and he must be able to to wear a number where you can um if yeah so you can track them um but i know that these have also been observed in france and i was reading um an article by by catherine austin fitz today on the salary report 
that um, something similar has been observed during the when they when they beat down on the protesters in Canada. Wow. Right. So, so are there, yeah, are there, what is this? Are these mercenary forces? Are these kind of like shadow police forces? I think it, it would be important to look into um, because if if you look at these changes and if you look at the amount of resistance, I don't think that um, that it will be that easy for that many people to get them to comply again. Especially if if they're going way beyond what they tried to do before, right? Uh, yeah. Now, what happened in Edge? Was it New York? I just remember hearing chatter about some like Chinese police force set up in New York or something like that. Do you remember hearing about that? Yes, about how there are actually Chinese police forces. I believe in Canada and in America, if I'm uh, if not quoting it correctly, this is just going off the top of my head, supposedly there to um, find uh, political dissidents of China um, and refugees, you know, P Chinese refugees living in America who have that, you know, the Chinese government has some sort of a beef with. But the fact mm. that they're even allowed on um, on our so soil or Canada's soil to be able to to supposedly con conduct surveillance uh, of their own um, political, uh, you know, right. refugees. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, it, it's insane. Yeah. So, it, yeah. Go ahead, Elsa. Well, there must be a lot of diplomatic cooperation to allow that because it doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, uh, gosh, which makes me just think of the whole wandering with immunity thing. <laughs> <laughs> All these people that are, you know, working with or for the UN, basically mm -hmm. every UN uh, branch and obviously the five branches of the World Bank, they they all have immunities, you know, it's comparable to diplomatic immunity. So they can travel here and about um, without ha having the normal checks at the airports and mm -hmm. going through customs. And um, they, the, the immunities are staggering. I won't go into it. I have a report on it if anyone wants to read it. But I've always thought, like, when I started working on that, I thought, my God, think of the types of things they could pull off with this. And yes. so who knows what all they've already got structured over here and set up. I mean, there's complete headquarters where military and police can't even go in, in some of these places where they've got these agreements, you know, and they don't fall under regular court jurisdictions, um, everything's handled within their own audits within they get you know they don't pay taxes all kinds of stuff so um surely that's wrapped into these other agendas too being able yes. to control things behind the scenes so helpful if people can just travel without any tracking <laughs> complete diplomatic right. immunity and also for laundering the money so yeah that's insane it, but it, it shows is. how it works Right, 
Right. Yeah. And, and this is, I mean, that's the control framework right there. It's all of the major groups. And if the the certain specific NGOs may not be in there, like for example, you've got Gavi and the Global Fund mm -hmm. um, who have the full immunities. Well, don't think that obviously Bill and Melinda Gates working through there and all the other NGOs that work with them, they're going to get all this cover as well. And so we're talking hundreds of organizations that have this cover and that is how they've been able to launder, uh, launder money and then carry out so many of these agendas without being held accountable. So it's um, quite an infrastructure they have managed to build over for quite some time now. And, and right it's completely outside of the law it's oh not, yeah yeah completely outside of the law so so how do we move forward with this guys like with the you know i mean obviously not complying is mm -hmm. the number one thing i well that and not having fear you know I, that's the biggest thing that's one of their biggest weapons is yeah putting people in a state of fear and getting them to be obedient. Right. So yeah, that's perhaps also something because it's, it's fear, but also, also in global research, there's some of my translated articles on the behavioral uh, manipulation um, during COVID, but yeah. it's also called a uh, NATO calls it the cognitive warfare doctrine. But basically, so in the Netherlands, um, they released like 10,000s of pages um, of FOIA requests. And there are a couple of authors, so a couple of people are going through that. And what emerges from this is not just this, this behavioral, so, so this behavioral government approach, but it was basically all these surveillance units and crisis communication teams were already installed before COVID. And um, all the major newspapers and the, and the social media companies were cooperating with them. And this was before COVID. And they were com communicating with NATO and the EU. Huh. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so that's uh, so I didn't write that, but so so about this behavioral control, what emerges from this? So in NATO, um, they call it called behavioral dynamics uh, modeling, but it's military grade information technology. Oh yeah. So basically, what people have been exposed to, um, and very clearly, and I know in the UK this happened too. Um, but yeah, in, in other countries too, uh, but, but I think it's very similar in different countries, but of course I'm more familiar with what happened in the Netherlands, but it's basically a military grade PSYOP. Right. Right. Um, and it's not, this is not a theory. This is just what emerges from all the FOIA request documents. Right. 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 Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think that's an important point, and that's exactly what I was going to say, just in a different way, is that I think the first step, and we are really kind of at the cusp of this step, mm -hmm. is acknowledging that we are subjects of fifth-generation warfare of our own governments against the people, and we can't, we can't do 
anything else to combat this until we first acknowledge that. And so when you start acknowledging that, then you understand that this COVID outbreak over here and this mRNA injection over here and this lab-grown meat over there and this GMO food over here, how they are all connected and all this censorship over here it's one big campaign to fundamentally change society and that we have to acknowledge that first and then start connecting these dots and once the masses of course our listeners are completely on this page but it's right. getting the masses to understand this as you had said elza i think prior to recording is that uh, many of the people that you have talked to, they're not even drawing a connection about how their bills are going up um, because of energy and how that's connected to this campaign, this great reset. Um, we have to start drawing those connections in the masses in order to be able to say, no, we will not comply. I think that's where we're at. Right. Yes, and so so I think in uh, the the wrap up of the Solari report, they were talking about um, Mr. Global is meeting Mr. Reality, and right. I think together with all the the side effects with high energy bills. So my brother was doing Christmas shopping, and he saw this very old couple walking through the supermarket, and they had like a tiny piece of meat and i don't know a can of soda or something it like was and they were clearly kind of debating like what can we buy what can we not buy mm. and he was like these are the people that worked our whole life from this for this country and now they, that so he, he he gave him money to get a decent Aww. christmas meal but this is like meeting mr reality like people that right. kind of buy their groceries Right, um, and I said so. I'm not so active on social media, but I sometimes scan to see what's happening. And it was like a father of two children, and he cannot pay the energy bills, and they cut off his gas, and he has two young children. Wow. And so we get like we're a very small country, and we're almost as population dense as Bangladesh, I believe. Like we're in the top five of most dense populated countries, and we get hundreds of thousands of refugees just in one year. Well, it used to be like 100,000 a year, which is very, which is a lot for a small country. Right. And I believe it was double. It's like very, very much. So a lot of, so Dutch young people, they cannot find housing. So they still live with their parents and they feel their life can't start. Right. And the energy bills are going up and, people are going bankrupt and I think all these things together even though people are not like more and more people are connecting the dots in my yes. city neighborhood they're not but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, there are more and more people and I feel that the more we're running into reality it there's going to be this 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 last drop in the bucket um right. Yeah, so I think they they cannot keep the they they cannot keep keep acting as if everything's fine because it's so clearly not fine and everything that everybody who's trying to keep this mental picture as if it's fine, they get into this weird cognitive doc dissonance that's driving them insane. I guess. Oh so yeah, I think like, yeah. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, it cracks me up every day on on twitter biden's team because you know he's not tweeting uh 
just keeps just just keeps tweeting out oh and this is the best year for jobs and we're keeping inflation down <laughs> and and we've now reduced gas and like all these blah, 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 blah. And, and don't and, forget to get your covid it, job it, right right and it i think it's you know for anyone who's on social media seeing this it's like a slap in the face you know yeah, where is. people are hungry they can't pay their bills they're losing their homes and and he's making it seem like everything's peachy like you just said elza so i do i agree i think um i think you have some folks who see this and they they just are not in the loop on anything they're just they're living their lives and they're going oh inflation sucks oh this is awful what are we going to do but then you've got a lot of people that are really angered by this and they hop on social media or they see something like that and they're like what why why are we hearing you know why are we being lied to and and yeah. so yeah i i think carrying on these charades and these schemes um for much longer is is really all going to just start backfiring on them it's falling apart it's falling apart um everything from the censorship campaigns which are just being just disclosure after disclosure on a daily basis about how the government has actually not just coerced but forced um big tech companies to censor us all about covid all about um elections all of that is coming out on a daily basis not not only that but we're just like every other day we're seeing another headline or another video of someone passing out from the or going into some kind of heart attack or heart problem because of the 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 covid jabs so Mm. um i think that definitely we are on the cusp of this mass realization just a a turning point is kind of what we talked about last week we're um kind of at that turning point where the the masses are starting to realize how how much they have been lied to and it's so important that they come to that realization because it's not over yet i mean they we have you know hundreds of clinical trials in the pipeline for other mrna injections Okay, right. so and, and we just spent the last hour talking about how they're trying to do this to all of the animals too, and right. so um, you know people need to understand that it's all connected and that this is just the beginning of the horrors that they're trying to impose on us, and we need to take a stand absolutely now and uh, not comply, knowing that they're going to try to do something again, right? right. Absolutely. Well, I think on a very practical level, so Corey and I participated in this backcasting exercise where we had to imagine that it was 2030 and and the whole Great Reset failed and what <laughs> happened in 2023 that that changed. Um, and I really feel like, so I said something about farming and, and independent food systems and it was, yeah, so it was just a fun exercise but i really believe that if you look at what they're doing to the food mm-hmm. they're trying to control us to control the food and that's a very old playbook yeah but if you look simultaneously like i think in the second world war 40 percent of the food like vegetables was produced in victory gardens and these were set up within two years and they right. were set up in in cities and around cities and and in the countryside um so so that's possible so if a lot of people just save a lot of seeds and when spring comes we do a lot of guerrilla gardening 
<laughs> like I think to to keep our our um, food self sufficiency is one of the most important things we can do because that will keep us free. So we need to start keep paying cash, of course, but we also need to be independent, like boycott agribusiness and be independent of of the corporate food system where you can. And I would say that anyone who still has savings, like with all this inflation, these savings are drying up. So if you can invest it in a local farmer. So there was an article in the Andre Kant that it's the paper I write for. And it was a farmer that started um, uh, selling uh, pieces of land to people for starting like, I think, 20K. And so a lot of people have been buying his land and he's leasing it back and he is growing food on it and it made him independent of the banks. Nice. So, uh, so I think there, there can also be very creative business models in we where we start helping and supporting the farmers. Because right. if I look at what's happening in the Netherlands, they are uh, making it very difficult for them to just operate uh, in a healthy way. And a lot of them are just throwing their towel in the ring and thinking, I can't do this anymore. Um, but they farmers, they are not like, that's not an individual thing. They, they're providing a very important social service. So that's something we all should realize. Uh, so I really believe in this vision of coming together around farmers to to get yeah to that's one of the important well. things is we you know they've done such a fine job of isolating everyone from yes. you know technology to smartphones to lockdowns and it's really important that we get back to getting together in person you know and collaborating and forget about competition and infighting and all the craziness and and the arguing that that does nothing that solves nothing uh, people need to start, you know, building back community and mm -hmm. um, in-person collaboration. I think that's really important. Just the connection yes. is really important. So, Definitely. so Oza, tell everyone where where all they can find you. Um, so I have a website. It's uh, at Van Hamelen, um, V A N H A M E L E N dot E U. Um, there I have a, um, I post my videos there and um, uh, I have a newsletter, but I haven't sent it recently. And I'm on Gap, but there, there are not a lot of followers there. I, I, I am still on Twitter, but I got a shadow ban. And when I started noticing I had one, I thought I'm kind of done with putting energy in this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my, my website is not fully up to date, but uh, yeah, if you subscribe to the newsletter, then um, I will send one again at some point. And of course, so, so the Andre Kant, they have um, an Odyssey and YouTube channel. And for my international inter interviews are on those channels as well. Okay, and then also yeah. the uh, the report you have coming out this month yes. um, oh. <laughs> on the Solari.com, which exactly. I so look forward to reading. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. I hope a lot of people get scared about development. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't want people in fear. <laughs> no, 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 but scared in the wrong kind of fear. <laughs> <laughs> scared to think like now I want to go to my local farmer. I, I'm right. 
I was researching this and while I don't buy a lot of my food in the supermarket, but after researching more and more, I felt like I, I don't think I want to buy any food at the supermarket anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> well, thank so. you so much for coming on. I super appreciate it. Your work is phenomenal. I love collaborating with you and keep thank keeping you. on with your work. It's fantastic. Well, thank yeah. you for the invitation. Um, very nice to be on your podcast. It was great to have you, Elsa. You are a wealth of information, guys. We will leave some dis uh, links in the description for you to be able to find Elsa's work. And please be sure to share this podcast. We are on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, no longer on YouTube. So please be sure to subscribe to our other channels. And we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It. Thank you.